Yeah, this is a back-to-school sermon, so how about that? So years ago, uh, there was a guy named, uh, what was his name? Something Shepherd. I just looked it up so I'd remember it. Um, Chuck Shepherd. In 1988, he started something called News of the Weird. Anyone ever heard of that, News of the Weird? Nope. I've been listening to News of the Weird on the radio and then following it online off and on for the past uh, 30 years probably. And it's just weird news stories, strange things that happens in the news. And uh, I have kind of a dark sense of humor. Uh, and so that fits well with me. And, you know, there are funny stories there, like stupid criminal stories, like the guy in Florida, Florida man, it always seems to be a Florida man, um, he robbed a convenience store, and the cops were chasing him, and so he ran into the, you know, into the woods there in Florida, and he had those, he had those sneakers on that had little lights in the heels, <laughs> right? Ah, uh, yeah, that's not very wise. That's news of the weird, right? Yeah. I, I heard another story, and again, uh, this is a little dark, but this week, um, I read a story about a soldier who was looting a city in Ukraine, okay? And uh, he was dressed for combat, you know. He had, just like you imagine, any soldier, his gun, whatever else is on his belt and all the other stuff. And he's going through houses and he's stealing things. And one of the things he came upon, one of the things he came upon was a MacBook. And he said, ah, I would like that MacBook. And so he closed it and he picked it up and he thought, where am I going to put that? Well, evidently, the armor that he had, the body armor that he wore, was a, a, a uniform made with pockets. And there were pockets that you put protective material into. And one of them was to protect his chest. He had a chest protector. And he pulled that out and said, that's about the size of a MacBook. And the thought struck him, I could just leave that here and put the MacBook here. And he did. And he left with the MacBook. You know what the next thing was that struck him, right? Yeah, that was an unwise choice for him to be going into combat with a MacBook as a chest protector. He didn't, uh, that didn't serve him well at all. He was unwise. Wisdom. It's kind of what we're talking about this morning. This sermon is about wisdom. It's a back to school sermon, but the wisdom we're going to talk about today isn't just for school students or young people. It is from them, if you can believe that. Uh, Wisdom uh, is something that is good to talk about, something that we need, and something that uh, we can gain if we look to God and his people. I want to ask you if you wouldn't open your Bibles. We're going to be in Proverbs chapter 3, verses 13 through 18, and uh, we're actually going to read that passage and then over a dozen other scripture passages. So this is one of those days where if you have the YouVersion Bible app and you click on the menu, you find an event near you, it will serve you well because we're going to be all over the scripture today. Um, I'm going to put a lot of them on the screen, but naturally they won't all fit on the screen. We're going to begin with chapter 3 of Proverbs. We're going to read verses 13 through 18. Listen to what it says about wisdom and how it personifies her uh, as, as having great value. Blessed are those who find wisdom, those who gain understanding. For she is more profitable than silver and yields better returns than gold. She is more precious than rubies. Nothing you desire can compare with her. Long life is in her right hand, and in her left hand are riches and honor. Her ways are pleasant ways, and all her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to those who take hold of her. Those who hold fast to her will be blessed. So I'm thinking of the back-to-school sermon, and I'm trying to figure out a direction to go. I've been praying about it for a while. And the thought occurs to me, I could, I could have the, the students write it. <laughs> that would be great. And so I sent a text, not to all of them, but to ones that 
occurred to me while I was sitting in McDonald's, and, and I said this in a text that I sent to them. Hey, I'm writing a back-to-school sermon and asking some more recent grads for one sentence of wise advice that I might want to include. Got any sage advice you wish that someone had given you? And almost everyone I sent that to replied. And the replies they gave were really great. I came home and I shared them with Laurel and she said, Paul, if that doesn't give you hope for the next generation, what will? So I'm calling them just pieces of wisdom from grads and I want to share them with you today. It's funny that the way they grouped them, some of them spoke about emotional things, some of them spoke about managing your life and some of them spoke about your spiritual walk. The emotional ones are what I'm going to talk about first. It was one of the guys who said, don't waste time regretting missed opportunities. Now, I know you're looking at the screen and saying, I cannot read that little corner, that little right-hand side of the screen. You're not supposed to. It's just there to prove you it didn't come from me, prove to you it didn't come from me, it came from them. If you're sitting up front, you can probably see it. And if you really need to see it, I can zoom it in by moving you right up to these chairs. Okay. Okay, okay here's the first piece of wisdom again. Don't waste time regretting missed opportunities. If you spend a lot of time mulling over regrets, oh, if only I'd done this. Oh, I wish I hadn't done that. Oh, I'm so embarrassed that I did this. Oh, it would have been so much better if I hadn't done that. If you allow that to absorb your time and your brain and your thinking, you will almost certainly not give proper attention to your future. You follow that? That kind of thing always makes me think of a passage in the scripture. It's one of my favorite passages. The Apostle Paul is writing to his best church. It's the church in Philippi. And he says to his friends there in chapter 3, verse 13, he says, Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself to have yet taken hold of it, but one thing I do. And then the thing he says he does is this. He forgets what is behind and strains toward what is ahead. Forgetting what is behind. Now, naturally, he's not forgetting Jesus. He wouldn't forget the one who loved him and gave himself for him. He's not forgetting friendships. In fact, this church, literally, the church of Kermansville was his very favorite church. I mean, the church of Philippi was his very favorite church. And so he's not forgetting his friends. He values them greatly. He's not even forgetting the mistakes he made and the lessons he learned from them. Here's what he's doing. He's not letting those past mistakes and regrets rule his thinking. He's not allowing them to absorb his thinking. There's a place, as Paul's writing to the church at Corinth, where he speaks of your mind and he says, take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. And if you're like me, thoughts of revenge? No, thoughts of revenge, wow. That was a slip, wasn't it? Thoughts of regret? If you're like me, thoughts of regret can just move right into your brain and they can just set up their own little, own little uh, TV room there and just sit inside your brain. I take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ and I don't live in regret. That's one of the pieces of advice from a recent grad. Here's the second text message I got and it has wisdom again regarding emotions. It says, struggling with school is okay because it teaches you a good work ethic and gives you confidence to overcome. Each day you will have a new obstacle. What determines the outcome is on you. So it's okay that work is hard. It's okay that sometimes managing a family is difficult. 
It's okay that sometimes going to work is something you'd rather not do. You really only learn to handle those kinds of things as you push yourself to do those kinds of things well. And pushing yourself is part of life. It's part of Christian faith. That passage in Philippians 3 where Paul says, forgetting what lays behind, if you continue to read there, he says, straining towards what is ahead, I press toward the goal to win the prize for which God called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Yeah, I'm pushing forward. And the obstacles I'm facing, they're not a bad thing. They're actually helping me to grow. By the way, if you're a believer, if you're a Christ follower, if you're trusting in Christ's death for your sins, then as his Holy Spirit fills you, you will find you can do things that you never thought you could do before. Some of you know that uh, when I was a kid and I was in high school, trying to think about what do I want to be when I get out of high school, the only thing I can think of is free. I didn't like school ever, (laughs) right? But I thought about some things, and and as I mentioned, some of you have heard this before, I I said to my mom one time, you know what I think I want to be? I really like music. I think I want to be a disc jockey at a rock and roll station. And my mom said, oh, in her mind, I can think of her, her mind going, oh, I don't think that would be good for Steve. I don't like the whole rock and roll world. I don't know, that wouldn't be good. And so she might have been just bordering on the edge of manipulative when she said this. You know how moms can be, right? Dads too. But she said this to me. She said, Steve, you know that those, that those disc jockeys often have to make public appearances, like maybe at the opening of a mall or at a fair. I don't think you like public speaking, do you? I said, I hate public speaking. <laughs> You picked that up right away, didn't you? Yeah. So how do I do it? If I hate public speaking when I'm in ninth grade, how am I doing it now? I pushed myself. And the Spirit of God has enabled me to speak publicly. Maybe not well. Maybe sometimes I call a rabbi a rabbit. It happens. Right? But yeah, those obstacles are things that by the power of the Spirit you can overcome regularly. You can be in a situation where there's very little joy and love, and you can bring love and joy to that situation. You can find yourself in a place that is full of chaos, and your presence, if you're allowing the Holy Spirit to use you, and you're pushing yourself to be that person, your presence can bring peace to that room. You can be someone who's kind. And when people see you're coming, they're glad you're coming and not like, oh, not him again. You can be someone who's, who's faithful, reliable, dependable. And someone who's not pushy and obnoxious, but rather gentle. You can live a life of self-control. Because all of those things are the fruit of the Spirit. And he does those things in you. Doing those naturally, there are huge obstacles in front of that called being human. But when you push yourself by the power of the Spirit in you, (laughs) the struggle really teaches you to overcome. Use your obstacles to grow. Another text message on these pieces of wisdom deals with being emotionally healthy. It kind of made me laugh when I first read it. It says, well, here's my advice. Have fun. Trust God. I like that. (laughs) I kind of like that. Another grad said it this way. Don't overthink and stress about everything that happens. Can you believe it? Josh prayed the last point and this point. He used the word overthink in his, 
And he didn't even listen to the early service. Maybe the Spirit of God wants to talk to us about overthinking things. Do you think that's possible? Have fun. Trust God. You know, those two things are not mutually exclusive. Because when you're trusting God, you have a sense of peace that allows you to really enjoy the life he has given you. And you don't overthink things. We tend to overthink things. (laughs) Um, I'm just going to be honest and say I overthink things like crazy. One time, when I, when I bought my last car, I thought, I think I'm going to put a trailer hitch on that, and then I'll put my bike rack on there, and then I'll never ride my bike. I'll just carry it around. You have to know me to know why that's funny. How many times have we used the bike rack since I put it on there, honey? Once, yeah. Once a year, that's enough. So I'm thinking about buying this bike rack, and I look and I say, this thing's 35 pounds. What's that going to do to my gas mileage? And I happen to mention that thought to Eric and to Dave. And one of them looked at me and said, you are overthinking this, man. <laughs> All right? Yeah. You have trouble overthinking? Whether to go to college. That's a hard decision. When to go to college. That can be difficult. Where to go to school. Man, there's just too many options. Choosing a major. Everyone struggles with that. And by the way, the colleges love you to struggle with that. Hey, take your time. Why don't you try four years of this? If that doesn't work, we'll sell you four more. You know, they're happy to do that. Or I'm not going to go to school at all, but where am I going to get a job? What kind of career should I choose? And where should I live? And, and, and when, when you're done with school, you can continue to overthink things. Which, which car should I purchase? What should I have for dinner? What about a computer? Which one should I get? I heard that if you use the MacBooks, they're not bulletproof. What, what about... A vacation? Where should we go on vacation? What, what about a cell phone plan? <laughs> Have you wrestled with that? Ah, overthinking. Probably the person in the scripture, the Bible writer in the scripture, I should say, probably in all the Bible, the writer that spends the most time overthinking. Any, any guess who I'm thinking of? The author of Ecclesiastes. I mean, he's not two or three sentences into it before he says, what's the sense in working? <laughs> you know, it just goes to someone else in the end. He gets another chapter into his work and he says, what's the value in pleasure? Doesn't work, doesn't last, doesn't make me happy. He's not even done with that chapter before he's saying, what's the sense in having a big house? You know, it doesn't bring any satisfaction at all. He spends chapter after chapter after chapter thinking about those things. He even talks about this issue. Is it better to be a live dog or a dead lion? Hmm. He doesn't ask that as a question. He presents it though as something he's given some thought to because he's an overthinker. At the end of it, At the end of after 12 chapters, when he gets right down to the last sentence or two, he says this, now all has been heard. Here's the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments for this is the duty of humankind. Now, if you understand the word trust, because remember the the text from the sage, the high school graduate, the text message says, have fun, trust God. If you understand the word trust to include obedience, which by the way, it does, obedience is implicit in trust. Here's why I say this. If you're on a sports team and you don't trust the coach and he says, I want you to throw a screen pass, you may or may not call that play if you're the quarterback and that's disobedient. On the other hand, if you trust the coach and he says, hand it off, give the ball to Bettis, you know, if he says that, then you're like, okay, I do trust you. I'm going to do that. I will obey you because I trust you. You really can't separate trust and obedience from a Christian perspective. If you understand that, then you can see Solomon is basically saying, 
Live your life trusting God and it will be worth living. Have fun and trust God. Enjoy the life as you follow Jesus. Hmm. That's good counsel. Now, not everyone I spoke to talked about managing your emotion. Some of the people who replied to my text talked about how you manage your time. By the way, some of you are parents and grandparents to these people. Have you guessed who said what yet? If you need to know, let me know. I'll be glad to to let you know because you should be proud of them. Okay? Here's one of my favorites. Temporary distractions at college are fun, but are merely distractions and not worth ruining your future. Did you hear Josh pray this morning and say, keep them from distractions? I mean, I, I'll tell you what, I think Josh has my, my Dropbox or something. He's reading my sermons ahead of time. Let me read it again. Temporary distractions at college are fun, but are merely distractions and not worth ruining your future. That's kind of strong language, isn't it? Quote, ruining your future. I really hate to ever think of the future as being ruined. And here's why. <laughs> Because we serve a redemptive God who can take terrible, terrible things and redeem them so he brings hope and life to the future, right? So yeah. But at the same time, I don't want to understate the point of the person who sent me that text message. You can really mess things up with distractions. I like how the New Living Translation speaks of this in Ephesians 5, starting at verse 15. It says, so be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. Don't be drunk with wine, because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. Distractions. Distractions in our walk with Christ are genuine threats. Jesus says that in the parable of the farmer, the parable of the sower that's in Matthew 13, comparing the gospel message to seeds that are planted. He says of of the third group of the seeds planted, he says that seed fell among thorns and represents those who hear God's word, but all too quickly the message is crowded out by two things, the worries of this life and the lure of wealth. So no fruit is produced. Distraction can ruin an educational opportunity. And apparently, distraction can ruin your walk with Christ. Good wisdom from grads. That very same graduate spoke about finding motivation. Listen to the words of the text message he sent. There's no guarantee that someone's going to be pushing you to be better. You have to push yourself and want it. There's so many self-help books out there that talk about motivation. There's good money in that. Frankly, for me, there are a number of things that motivate me. I can be motivated with pie. That's how I learned my times tables. My mom said to me, if you learn those times tables, I'll bake a pie and you can eat the whole thing. I did it all in an hour, including eating a pie. Yeah, yeah, right? Hmm. But honestly, one of the things that serves to motivate, motivate me well and probably would motivate you well comes from Colossians chapter 3, verse 23, where it says this, whatever you do, whatever you do, whether it's going to school or going to work or planting a garden or weeding a garden or cleaning your home or preparing a meal or going grocery shopping, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. Since you know that you'll receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord Christ you are serving. 
So ask yourself, man, why should I do this English comp assignment? It's not because your mom's going to lecture you. It's because you're serving God in all you do, including the English comp assignment. Man, what was I thinking when I signed up for an 8 o'clock class? Typical freshman mistake there. I'm just going to go late. I want to tell you something. At most universities, at least the ones I attended, the one I attended, I should say, that professor doesn't care if you come at all. And you're not going to find motivation from that professor marking you absent. He just doesn't care if you're there. It's not that way. It wasn't that way. It's Co Falls. They cared that you were there. But once you get out there, maybe in a university world, it depends on the professor. He doesn't care if you're there at all. So you're going to have to find that motivation from somewhere else. And that somewhere else, <laughs> that somewhere else for me, comes from knowing whatever I do, I work with all my heart as though I'm doing it for the Lord because he is rewarding me. Now, by the way, intuitively, you might think that just makes it more stressful. It really does. I mean, if I have to go to work down at the store and serve God there, it's bad enough serving my boss. If I got to do this as unto the Lord, it just increases my anxiety. No, it doesn't. And here's why. He's always fair. I've had bosses that were unfair. Have you? If you're working it for them, (laughs) that's anxiety. God is always fair. Number two, I know that if I am doing this for him, he is in my corner and he's going to help make it happen. And number three, if it doesn't work after I've given my all, then it wasn't to be. It just wasn't to be. And that lowers your anxiety level. You can find motivation that you never knew was there by dedicating all you do to God. Whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, do it all for the glory of God. Now, so some of them talked about how you manage your life. Some of them talked about emotions. Some of them talked about spiritual stability. (laughs) You ever been going down a road and got a flat tire in your car? (laughs) You know, you're going down a road, 65, 70 miles an hour, and all of a sudden, one of those tires goes like that. That is exhilarating. Oh, wow, you know? Whoa, look at that. Look at this thing going around. Wow, it's like, wow, that's like, that's like a ride in an amusement park, right? One time I was going through the Allegheny National Forest. I had someone on the back of my motorcycle. It's 10 o'clock at night. I'm going way too fast as I'm going up across the Allegheny National Forest north, uh, near State College. No, 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 near, near Marionville, Pennsylvania, if you know where that is. And I'm just flying along in those woods like crazy, and I blew a tire on a motorcycle. Ever done that? Wow! <laughs> if they could put that in at Hershey, or if they could put that at Kennywood, that would be the ride there would be the longest ride line for, because, buddy, that was exciting and exhilarating. It's crazy, isn't it? I mean, I never want to get a flat tire on a motorcycle again. And I don't like getting flat tires when I'm moving quickly in a car, even when I'm sitting still. I don't like flat tires, but I don't like that exhilaration. But isn't it kind of crazy that there are amusement parks all over the world that are there for the very, for the very purpose of selling you instability? It's kind of weird, right? It's just kind of weird. And I think that's because controlled instability, is there such a thing? It's kind of a fun thing. It gives you a rush. Yeah. Many find that instability to be fun, and they get it back in line immediately after and go on that ride a second time. That kind of instability can be fun, but spiritual instability is death. You hear that? Spiritual instability is never fun. You should avoid it with all your heart. 
So the text messages that, that are here might be some of the best advice for college students, for high school students, for teachers, and for bookkeepers, and for laborers, and for public servants, and for guards who work at prisons, and for guys who cut the grass, and for cooks in restaurants, and for all of us. It's this, the first of these ones about spiritual stability. Find yourself a core group of like-minded brothers and sisters to be your rock. It only takes one person to make or break your experience. You hear that? Man, that's really true. Somebody else said it more briefly. They just said, pick the right people to be around. Pick the right group of people to be around. I want to show you a picture. (laughs) Yeah. That's one of my groups of like-minded brothers. There's 22 of them there Thursday night. I could have shown you that picture. I could have shown you one from my Thursday morning group where we go to the Dutch pantry and read a book and talk about what's there. That's another one of my groups of like-minded brothers. I could have shown you a picture of me and the, and the Board of Ministries as we're gathered together, praying for the church ministry and, and, and considering how to manage those. That's another one of my groups of like-minded brothers and sisters. I'm showing you this picture because it, it's fresh. <laughs> And it just happens to capture what that text message is all about. And, and that group there that you're looking at, we don't have a fancy name. We, we don't have matching hoodies. <laughs> we don't have some special online Bible study that we're all subscribed to and we do the work ahead of time and, and talk about that. We don't have a hardcore agenda. Here's what we have, and I'm going to say it twice. Hear it. We have a commitment to the Word of God that gives us a commitment to one another. Let me say it again. We have a commitment to the word of God that gives us a commitment to one another. And you know what that's like. It might be your Sunday school class that is that for you. It might be, it might be Doris's Thursday morning group or whatever. You know what that is like. We have a commitment to the word of God that gives us a commitment to one another. When Milton, uh, I think it was his idea to have this group. He got it at Men's Link. I can't see Milton. Are you here, buddy? He's probably in a, in a nursery or something. He's hiding. <laughs> when he first mentioned having this, he said, I just want to read the Bible, nothing else. I want to read the Bible, nothing else. I was talking with Dave Clark this Thursday. Guys were talking around the circle, and uh, I said, uh, you know, he's, he's beside me. I said, I'm trying to think of how to get them into the Bible. Because, you know, you have to kind of ride. It's like surfing. You've got to catch the wave in a group like that. You know, if you miss the wave, you're not going to go. And Dave said, yeah, I said, we might not make it into the Bible tonight. We did. But I said, we might not make it into the Bible tonight. Because Dave and I both noted, I think it was Dave who said, we're not really enslaved to getting the Bible study in. Sometimes we just pray. <laughs> One night, this guy came in. And he just sat down with the guys. He said, I need to talk. I have a huge sin I need to confess. And he, he confessed the sin that would curl your hair. Maybe not. He confessed the sin that would curl your hair and is common to humankind. Did you hear that sentence? It was a great evening. It was maybe one of the best we've ever had. We're not enslaved to doing the Bible study, but we do the Bible study because our commitment to the word of God is what gives us a commitment to one another. Hmm. 
Without the Bible study, that group wouldn't exist. That group gives us spiritual stability. When you find a group of like-minded people to grow with, it really changes everything for you. And suddenly you're able to do what the Bible talks about in 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 11, where it says, therefore encourage one another and build each other up just as in fact you are doing. Like-minded Christ followers help keep each other stable. The guy that was on the back of my motorcycle in the Allegheny Forest, he's probably praying like crazy. He was a pastor, and his prayers probably kept that bike stable. I felt that bike going all over the highway. When I pulled over and got off the road, he said, what's wrong? I said, we got a flat tire. He said, I didn't even notice. <laughs> Like-minded Christ followers will help keep you stable. I thought this next one was profound. Before making important decisions or any questionable decision, think of the person you look up to most. Maybe it's your parents or your grandparents. And ask yourself, is this something that I know they would be proud of me for doing? Wow, that's wise counsel, isn't it? We want to make our loved ones proud of us. We don't want to bring shame to them. We want to please them and please God. We want to avoid shameful things. And the Bible is very explicit about shameful things. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1, it says, Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself for us as a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. But among you, there should not, even, there should not be even a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed because these are improper for God's holy people. See, when you face a decision, <laughs> this, this individual is saying, ask yourself this question. Is this something they would be proud of me doing if I do this? That's wise counsel. The next text message is good spiritual counsel for those who are following Christ. It says, don't change who you are, your identity, to please other people. Turn to God for guidance, even in the midst of difficult times. In other words, find your identity in Christ. Now, if you're not a Christ follower, if you've kind of been on the edge or you haven't stepped into trusting him, then you really do need to change who you are. This doesn't apply to you. You need to change who you are. Not so you can please me or your mom or your dad or other people, but so that you can be who you were born to be. And that change is just a matter of looking to the cross and saying, Jesus, I don't know why you died for me, but I know I needed it and I admit I needed it. I will follow you. I trust you. Some people call that being saved. Maybe the phrase born again. It's becoming a Christ follower. It's being made new. It's being changed. And it changes who you are and gives you a different identity that is worth basking in. Do you know what I mean when I say basking in it? It's worth soaking in your identity, living and loving who you are in Christ Jesus. People try to get their identity from all kinds of things. From sports, from politics, from being right all the time, from being tougher than the next guy, being prettier, being more handsome, being sexy, being rebellious. I mean, we get our identity from all kinds of things. But as a believer in Christ, your identity is very simple. It comes from him. 
You are his. He is yours. You are beloved by him. There are dozens of scriptures we could explore that talk about our identity in Christ. I just want to maybe share five of them with you. I have kind of a a list of who we are in Christ. And the first one is this. You bear his image to people who otherwise would not know what he looked like. You bear the image of God. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. You carry the image of God. That should change everything about how you view your identity. I saw something this week online. I like science, and I remember Carl Sagan and great minds like that. Sagan was talking about how he believes the universe started as a star that just exploded. And and so now the whole universe is stardust, he says. And uh, I believe the Big Bang Theory, by the way. God spoke and bang, there it was. That's me, okay? Sagan's going on, you know, the the billions and billions of stars are all God's. You, he said, or not God's, the universe is stardust. Sagan says, you are special because you are made of stardust. (laughs) I don't know, does that make you special? Because that chair is made of stardust. This, stardust. Pardon my French, but cow manure is made of stardust. Right? That doesn't make you special. Carl, I love you, buddy. You're a smart guy, but you're missing it here. Here's what makes you special. You, as a human being, are made in the image and likeness of God, and you reflect that image and likeness for all the cosmos to see. And the stardust that is out there and looks at you, if this, if this stool could speak, if that chair could speak, it would say, wow, the image of God is among us. That's your identity. That's who you are in Christ. You might have regrets. I mean, who doesn't have regrets, right? But the scripture, when it talks about who you are in Christ, it says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ... The new creation has come. I love the King James here. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. I like creatures, right? You're a new being, a new person, a new creation has come. The old has gone. The things you regret are gone. They do not define you. Those things you're ashamed of if you're in Christ, those things that you know you were guilty of if you were in Christ, those things are not your identity. The old is gone. A new has come. The new has come. Because you're in Christ. Take your identity from him. Bask in it. Soak in it. You are his workmanship. His handwork. You've been given a purpose by God. The Apostle Paul says in Ephesians 2.10, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus, to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. It is almost as though there are certain things in this world that God has for you to do, and you're just the right person to do them. You are. That is your identity. Made by him. Called by him. Given a task by him. For his honor and glory. I want to do it for myself. I don't know if I want to do it for God's honor and glory. Really? You got a chance to give glory to the one who made all of this. And you'd rather level up on a Nintendo. Have at it, buddy. Have at it. You are his handiwork. 
You are created in Christ Jesus to do good works that he prepared in advance for you to do. And he calls you to be part of this radiant light. Peter says, you're a chosen people, a royal priesthood. You're a holy nation. You're God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. And you are someone who possesses the very blessing of God as your hope. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Yeah, if you're in Christ, you don't change from that to please other people. Any changes you look to happen are changes to help you grow, to be more like him, more conformed to the likeness of God's son, Jesus, so that you can follow his guidance joyfully, even in difficult times. So I know you remember the story about the Russian soldier who was pillaging that village and picked up that MacBook took out his armor, set it aside, put the MacBook in. That idea struck him as a good one. The next thing that struck him wasn't quite so good. He did something very foolish. He's not alone, right? I mean, we all do very foolish things. How many times have you looked back at your life? And every now and then you'll be talking to somebody, particularly young guys like to say this, I should be dead right now. All the things that have happened to me, we all should be dead right now, right? Because we've all really done foolish things somewhere down the road. You know what we all need? Wisdom. Wisdom. Whether you are... Whether you are headed to college or going into junior high, or whether you're a high school student or an elementary school student, or whether you're going to a new job or the same old job, or whether you're, whether you're just getting up in the morning and making breakfast for them again, or you're coming home in the evening and making supper for them again, whatever it is, you're the woman in this picture. The future is before you. It's laid out there. And you want to approach it with wisdom. I want to pray that you would be able to do that. So if you're comfortable doing so, Let's stand together and we'll pray. By the way, let me give you this little piece of wisdom if you're a parent of a grad or a recent grad. Don't go up and say, Johnny, did you say that one? I'll fill you in. Johnny's not going to want to share that with you. Okay? Yeah. Would you unite your heart in prayer with me? Father, we are thankful for the wisdom that you give us. And when we hear these grads sharing this wisdom... It's delightful, and it's hope-filling. It gives us hope. Help them to apply it, because knowing it in your head head and living it with your life can be a hard thing to do. Help them to apply it, and help us to apply it, because knowing it in my head as an adult and doing it, that can be hard. Help us be men and women who live in a manner worthy of our calling and help us find delight in doing it. Help us implement your wisdom 
by the power of your spirit. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, amen.